Amen. Oh, we're off to a good start. Let's have more. Uh, it was hot. It was really hot, actually. Not just hot, the kind of hot that was humid. The kind of hot where you, uh, you just wonder, why didn't I just stay at home? Uh, but it really didn't matter to us uh, much because you know, even though our, our foreheads were dripping and our clothes were sticking to us like uh, saran wrap, uh, we felt like we were on top of the world. And that's because at the San Diego Zoo, my five-year-old daughter and I discovered that, that, that mustard and french fries are just awesome together. They're just amazing. I mean, it's the perfect combination of, of bitter and salty and greasy, you know? Uh, it, it, and what's more, they're, 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 they're color-coordinated, you know? And even I can tell that with my colorblindness. Uh, that's a good thing. If only we had a little cheese to sprinkle on top, then we would have had three yellows. It'd be the, like the trifecta. Dying of heat, but in our minds, we were, we were on top of the world. We were living the dream. This was the good life. You know, uh, actually, uh, just a PSA, incidentally, um, there is uh, a rumor that there is a looming worldwide uh, mustard shortage. So that's just a, that's just a gift to you, FYI. Uh, act appropriately. <laughs> Maybe you've had a moment like that where uh, it, it, anybody else in the situation that you found yourself in, They'd be hurting, they'd be struggling, they'd be just hating life, and yet here you are, you're, 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 you're oblivious to all of that stuff, or maybe you're aware of it, but it doesn't even matter because, oh, you're living the good life right now. We began our series in First Peter, and we took note that this letter was actually written to people who were struggling. It, life wasn't easy. They were on the run. They were driven from their towns, from their, their homes, from their, some from their jobs. They were the persecuted, the, the hated, the tested, the outcasts, and all because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ, their allegiance to him uh, and the difference that he had made in their lives, pulling them up out of darkness, bringing them into the marvelous light of the eternal kingdom of God. And you know, well, once they were, they were right at home there with, with their friends, with their neighbors, with their, their fellow citizens, and they were outsiders to this, this group called the people of God, but now all of a sudden it was the other way around. What just happened here? Now they were actually aliens and strangers in the world that they once called home. Peter tells us once they were not a people, now you are God's people. And the same is true for you if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You're now members of that eternal kingdom. No longer belong to this world that you're living in. And so, what do you do now? How, how do you live? I mean, what kind of attitude should you have now that you find yourself uh, behind enemy lines? Should you, should you be all stuck up and proud or think you're super cool like this guy? Or should, uh, yeah, how do you respond? How do you respond when the world around you is, is mistreating you? They're interrogating you. They're abusing you. They're persecuting you. How do you, re how do you respond? Or what kind of standards do you set for yourself? What kind of guidelines do you, do you set for yourself? What, what's, what does this new living look like? Or what kind of reason should you have for, for doing any of this versus just 
hanging out and blending in with the, with the locals? Well, Peter's given us some answers. He already spoke to those who found themselves under civic authorities, under governors or presidents or, or even emperors. He spoke to those who, these believers who have this newfound freedom in Christ. And yet at the same time, they, they still find themselves enslaved to earthly masters. He spoke to them. Remember that? Last time we looked, uh, he spoke to men and women who had covenanted together in this, this marriage relationship as husband and wife. And in all of these situations, he urged Christians to, to honor the relationships, the earthly relationships that they have, and to live in such a way that they point each other and, and everyone around them to Jesus. Now he addresses everyone. If you didn't fit into any of those three categories, now this one's for you. This is for everyone. It's a blanket call, a blanket message here. And he's going to tie words that were actually ancient words that were penned long before Christ even came. And he's going to present them to those who are now in Christ, now on the other side of the cross. And he's going to use them to show that this is essentially how to live your best life now. And someone recalls and says, oh, no, 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 wait a second. A prosperity gospel alert. Jared, have you lost it? What are you talking about? Are you seriously going to tell us that, that by doing this or doing that, that God is going to somehow make us happy and healthy and wealthy? Not exactly. But it is kind of like mustard and french fries. And check out what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Would you stand with me as we read? This is God's word here we're reading. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. To not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now you'll notice there's no promise in there about having enough faith and making piles of cash. That, that wasn't in there. Nor is there anything about um, saying the right formulaic prayer or, or donating X amount of dollars to your local church and then that'll rid you of, of all that ails you. No, that's not there. What, but what he does say is whoever desires to love life and see good days. Did you, did you catch that? Did you see that? There's, 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 there's a path that he's setting before us here, and it's actually the, antith the antithesis of Proverbs 14, 12, and the path that the, the, the writer uh, gives us there. He writes, there's, there's a way that seems right to a person, 
but its end is the way of death. That, that's the norm. That's the path that everybody's on here. Now Peter is saying that there's another way. There's a way that leads to loving life. Jesus talked about a wise man, and he talked about a foolish man. The wise man built his house upon a, a, a rock. Foolish man on the, the sand. And uh, you can guess how that turned out. The idea is that, that going your own way, apart from God's way, is going to bring about all sorts of trouble. Look at what's going on in the world. <laughs> we see it. There's fighting. There's hating. There's backstabbing. There's uh, cheating. There's all kinds of stuff out there. And they'll tell you that, that really the secret is to, to, to throw off these shackles that you, you have or the church tries to put on you, this, the shackles of belief in an all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, interested, accountable, holding creator. And that's really the only way to live. You want to live your life? You want to live the dream, the good life? Throw off of these shackles. Get rid of them. They'll tell you that it's actually life-crushing. It's actually joy-robbing, freedom-restricting, identity-destroying to take this Christianity stuff seriously. And yet, according to Jesus, the opposite is actually true. Hearing and doing his words sets your life on a rock-solid foundation that is able to stand in the storm. On the other hand, refusing or ignoring them is what sets you up for disaster. Romans 1 says that after choosing to suppress the truth and denying the very existence of God, they became futile in their thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. That, my friends, is a sad state of affairs. And the worst part is actually not what it does to society, not what it does to uh, even families, to marriages, to children. It's the eternal judgment that will one way or another find every single human being who's not made right with their maker apart from faith in Christ. Now, it's important for us to remember this letter that Peter's writing is not to those who were still lost in darkness. It's not to them. No, he's not writing to those who are still on that freight train headed toward disaster. No, he's writing to those who have already trusted that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Those who are now placed in God's forever family and, and their identity, their position there is absolutely secure. And so when he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, he's not talking about being saved here. He's not talking about being made right with God here. No, Christ did that. You didn't win that. You don't earn that. You, you receive that. You trust that Jesus Christ is your one and only way to peace with God the Father. It's, it's in his death on the cross that he paid the sin debt that we owed. It's because of his perfect life applied to our lives through faith that, that we can stand before our maker unashamed fully deserving to do so. It's because of his righteousness. We're clothed in it. So what's he talking about here? Whoever desires to, to love life and see good days? Well, he's talking about the good life now. 
Does that make you feel uncomfortable? It kind of makes me uncomfortable saying that. But it's the truth. Your best life now, my best life now, is what we experience as we live like Jesus. No, we're not talking about losing weight. <laughs> we're not talking about making money. We're not talking about winning the lottery or even escaping sickness, suffering, or trouble. We're not talking about any of those things. We're talking about how much better it is to live the way that God designed you to live. And, and to do that in a community of other believers who are committed to that very same thing. That is the good life. In fact, we've talked about that over and over and over again up in the office upstairs as of late. That God is doing something here in this people that is so good. And the contrast dial is being turned up to the max in terms of what it looks like in here and what it looks like out there. Perhaps you've noticed it. That's what David was talking about in Psalm 34. Essentially, he's saying, this is good. <laughs> knowing God, uh, enjoying God, loving God, obeying God is so, so very good. He writes, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. You don't say that to killjoys, do you? <laughs> you don't say that to those people who just make your life absolutely miserable. In fact, what do you do? You try to get away from them, distance as much as possible, and maybe behind their back you go, did you see what's going on over here? These people are really bothering me. You do that sort of thing. He doesn't do that sort of thing when it comes to God. No, because God does something different in his life. God's not making his life miserable. God's not putting shackles on him. God's not robbing is sucking the marrow and the life and the joy out of him. No, he goes on. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. This is who I brag about. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He's saying, let's party. <laughs> let's celebrate together the one who's brought so much good to our lives. He says, I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, he says, taste. Taste. <laughs> and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's the blessed life. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions, they suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Didn't Jesus say something similar? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What would our lives look like if we, if we actually believed that and, and lived like we believed that? How much more joyful would we be? <laughs> How much more worry-free, stress-free would our lives be? That's the good life right there. 
You take away anxiety and anxiousness and fear, life gets a lot better, doesn't it? Hmm. David wasn't content to enjoy that himself. He wanted to bring others into that experience as well. He says, come, O children, listen to me. Parents, are, are you bringing your children into this knowledge, this, this secret, secret knowledge of the way of the good life that it is in the, it's found in those who take refuge in God? Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. What man is, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? You want to know the good life, he asks? He gives an answer. He says, keep your tongue from evil. I don't know if this is going to come up on the board, but this is the next part. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In other, way, it's, in other words, to simplify it down, do it, do it God's way. Live life God's way. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward the cry, their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth when the righteous cry for help and the Lord... When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. Out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Some of you have been there and you've experienced that. You can testify to that. I've heard some of that. This is good. This is the good life. We're living in a world where there's all kinds of rotten stuff all around us. That's what happens when what God created good, he made in, in, in his image, when they turn away from him, when they go their own way. That's what happens, all the rotten stuff. But if by God's grace you turn back around and begin living your life the way God has designed it, even though you may have health problems. Yeah, we're living in a fallen world and our bodies are affected by sin. Like we said earlier, all creation is awaiting for that final redemption and Christ is going to accomplish that. Yes, we may have health problems, even though we may have bosses that are just making life absolutely miserable or we're in a marriage that is just, it's just not satisfying. It's just not what we want it to be or, or you don't know where the next rent check is going to come from even though doing it God's way is so much better than the alternative. And that was true for God's people. People who before Christ had faith in God. And it's true for those who have been adopted in as God's people now through faith in Jesus Christ. It's true for us. It's true for you if Christ is your Savior. And that's why Peter here, Peter, fisherman who stepped away from his blue-collar job, now Jesus says, you're going to go make fishers, you're going to be a fisher of men. He takes his readers all the way back to Psalm 34, and he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. You want to see good days, don't you? You don't want to, you don't want to say... It'd be with so many of those other people who, in all those comedy, those, those melodramas on TV, they go, I hate my life. You don't want to be one of those people. No, you want to love your life, just like I want to love my life. So what does that look like? 
What is it about living like you were a part of the eternal kingdom of light that makes life in the here and now much better? What, what is the mustard and fry combo that transforms living in a fallen world into something that's actually good? Here it is. Christian, Christians live the good life now as they seek to have, first of all, Christ-like attitudes. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of these are Christ-like attitudes. You're, you've heard people say, attitude is everything. You've seen these, these things, right? Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, uh, I don't have one of those. Um, it, 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 it's not quite everything. There's, there's a little bit more to it than that. And so, nice picture, but move on. Attitude is the way we approach something. It, 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 we come in with certain thoughts, certain feelings, and they affect the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we think. It's a frame of mind that, that sets the mood, right? It sets the vibe. And when you walk into a room with a salty attitude, well, it changes the tone of that room. And that's at least the way it, it works when I walk into my home with a bad attitude. And the same thing is true at church, too. We step out of the car, we walk into the courtyard, and we've got to be asking ourselves if we are coming in with the attitude of Christ or an attitude of that old rotting flesh. Peter tells us exactly what that Christ-like attitude looks like. It looks like five things. It looks like, first, unity of mind. Unity of mind, that, that word there simply means same think. <laughs> I don't know if that adds a lot to your understanding here. Uh, it, it's about realizing that these other believers that are here on this church campus or in this room right here, they're not your enemy. Maybe they, maybe they would have been before. <laughs> Their personality and your personality just don't mesh. But they're not your enemies anymore because they are you and they are in Christ, and you're, now you're on the same team. You're one people, a holy nation, a chosen race, and you all have one purpose as well. That's this idea of unity of mind. That's what it's all about. It's about knowing where you've come from, knowing who Christ has made you to be, and knowing what he's called you to do. The early church knew that. And, and that same unifying spirit, it made the difference in how they looked at each other. Acts 4.32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That's not communism, by the way. Not communism. That's just people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, valuing and loving all the other people that Christ loves. They took seriously Jesus' command in, in John 13, 34. New commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know. They'll know that you are my disciples. If you have this certain church logo, they will know. No. <laughs> they will know by your love for one another if you have love for one another. What is your attitude when you come to church? Do you love God's people? Or do you bring in all of that nasty from, from the other side of the curb? All the suspicion, all the anger, all the hate-filled stuff from the other side. The Christ-like attitude that makes life so much better in here looks like unity of mind. 
were united by the great truths by Jesus, of Jesus Christ, and those bring us together, amen? That's what, that's what we're, we're singing here. We're uniting together un, uh, from, by those truths. When, when we take communion, and just a, just a little bit here, hopefully it's sooner than later, right? When we take communion here, we're going to be united saying, this is what we need, this is what makes us one, this is what makes all the difference here, unity of mind. That Christ-like attitude, it also looks like sympathy. <laughs> he says, he mentions sympathy here. The first one was about truth. This one's about feeling. When Christ calls us to himself, the Holy Spirit does this incredible transformational work, and he takes hearts that were solid stone, and he transforms them into living, breathing, warm hearts of flesh. Have you ever been in pain and, and, and just really needed that shoulder to, to cry on or just really needed an understanding ear and all you got was a cold shoulder? The world out there talks a big game when it comes to sympathizing, caring for the needs of other, others, but the closer that you look, the more that you realize is that it, it just cares a lot more about what's in it for them. We're seeing that in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision, the Roe versus Wade stuff. Large companies out there, they're, they're saying, you know what, we care for people. We really care for people. We care for all those pregnant women out there, women out there, people out there who find themselves to be pregnant. We care for them. So we're going to pay for them to fly to wherever they need to fly and pay for their treatments, pay for them to have the abortions that they so desperately need. We're so caring. But when you skim just... Underneath the surface, you come to see that this is all self-serving. It's really just all about money because it, paying for an abortion is so much cheaper than paying the medical bills and the time off and maybe the child support, the, the, the daycare costs associated with having babies. That's not the way God's people are supposed to look. That's not true sympathy. They are, Christ's people are to show genuine sympathy toward one another. They're to come alongside one another, be sensitive to one another's needs, hurts, struggles, pains. Paul told the church in Galatia, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfilled the law of Christ. He wrote in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And that's the way of Christ. Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's better by far, isn't it? Better by far. How much better would life be if we could live in a community where people around us were sympathetic toward one another rather than being callous and indifferent and, or worse, trying to profit off one another? No place for that among us. Christ-like attitude, it looks like sympathy, it looks like unity of mind, it also looks like brotherly love, not, not some weird kind of, of love here, a love that comes from knowing that you share a common origin. That's brotherly love. That's the kind of love we're talking about here, the kind of love that's supposed to be there between those who are, are closely related to one another. We're closely related to one another, right? It's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have toward anyone who's been adopted into the family of God. That's one of the reasons when we go to Germany in a few weeks, we're going to be meeting with other believers there, and instantly there should be this brotherly love because they, too, have the same origin. 
It's also the kind of love we should show towards those who don't yet know Christ, because we have a common origin as well, a common backstory, don't we? We're all image bearers of the Creator. When we were going through our study in Genesis just a, just a little while back, it, this is the thing that struck me over and over and over again. And I, I was driving from and to church or driving to lunch in here in Westminster or Huntington Beach or wherever it was, and I see all these people, and I go, I'm related to them? I actually am. It's a common bloodline here. We're all image bearers here. What kind of a better place, what kind of a better life would this be if we had that kind of Christ-like attitude and regard for one another, this brotherly love? And along with unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love, there's also the attitude of Christ. It's tender-hearted. It's Christ-like compassion. It's the heart that, that feels pain, the pain of others to such a degree that it's moved to act. Do you remember Mary, Martha coming to Jesus and they're sobbing, they're weeping. Brother Lazarus just died. That was the most powerful verse in Scripture. Simply says, Jesus wept. How much better would life be if, if we lived in a community where people had that same kind of tender-hearted love toward each other? That's part of the good life that Christ came to create when he created a people for himself. Last Christ-like attitude that, that Peter gives is this, this idea of a humble mind. You don't, you don't have to go very far to see people who are just so filled with pride in our world. Maybe if you're like me, you've been around the church long enough and you see it right here. You've seen it in your, in your church history, people coming in with that kind of attitude. And they're spouting off all the things that they know. Oh, you know, your version of the Bible is not as good as my version of the Bible. Man, I've heard that too many times. Looking down at others who don't do things the same way or not do the things the same way that they do. Melissa and I were checking out a church up north and we, we found after just a little bit of investigation that the, the homeschool parents were completely embattled against the Christian school parents. Oh, they were at it. They were going at it. But not only that, the Christian school parents and the homeschool parents were firmly entrenched and embattled against the, private, or the, the public school parents. And that's when Melissa and I looked at each other and said, we got to go to this church. This is going to be a great time. <laughs> no. There's something so unchristlike about that, isn't there? We saw that a few, the past few years with, with all the different COVID restrictions. Well, I think this way. No, I think this way. Pride coming in, and we didn't see a lot of that humble mind. We all longed for it, right? You'd, meet, you'd bump into someone, maybe someone you knew from way back when, and all of a sudden you had that tense feeling wondering, do they have a humble mind about this? I don't know. Is this, am I going to get in a messy situation right here? Oh, I don't like that. That's not the way it should be. It's not the kind of world we want to live in. That may be the way the world looks on the other side of the curb, but it's not the way the world is supposed to look in here. Paul wrote to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Imagine how much better life would be if everyone demonstrated that kind of Christ-like humility. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. <laughs> Imagine if people came in contact with you and found rest for their souls. 
Christians live the good life now as they seek to live, seek to have Christ-like attitudes. They live the good life now as they respond the way Christ did. Christians live the good life as they seek to have Christ-like responses. Jesus said, he said it pretty plainly. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That is hard to do. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Boy, that's countercultural. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Hmm. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. That's your example. My example. That's what it looks like to be human beings, the ones we were created to be. Jesus went so far as to say, you're, you're going to be sons of your father when you love your enemies. You represent God well when you do that, just like a son represents his father well. The world on the other side of the curb, they know that this is a good thing. Oh, yeah, uh, love is all you need. All you need is love, right? They know that. They can't actually do it the way we were meant to do it. They can't live that way the way we were meant to live because their hearts are turned inward on themselves, still living in darkness. They're, they're incurvated, right? Turned in on themselves. And yet those on this side, on the other hand, they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to say no to the old passions of the flesh and yes to Christ's likeness. And that's why Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What would the world be like if, if when your heart says, take your revenge, you listen to the voice of the Spirit that says, forgive. That's what life in the church, life on this side of the curb, should look like. And Peter says that you may obtain a blessing. And it sounds as if Peter's telling these Christians that they're going to get some sort of blessing from, for, for God, from God if they forgive. Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And so it sounds, may sound like Peter and Jesus are saying, you know what, you want, you want to be saved? Well, here's how you do it. You just start forgiving people, and then you're going to be saved. That's not exactly what they're saying here. The reality is that Christians forgive because they have already been forgiven. It's what they've been empowered by Christ to do, to live just like Christ. The two, you being forgiven and you forgiving others, they're, they're very closely connected. God forgiving us, us forgiving others. Those who have been forgiven, they forgive. That's what Peter's getting at here. Jesus made it clear that it's absolutely ridiculous to think that someone who had been forgiven so much and gave this illustration of a person who's been given for unbelievable amount of money, and yet they're not going to forgive this, this, the person who owes them a few dollars. That's absolutely ridiculous. 
How can you be the recipient of something so truly good and then not share that good with others? The good life now, it looks like having a Christ-like response when you're treated poorly. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like actually returning evil with good. Tell me that it's not the good life when your spouse says, I forgive you for the rotten way you've acted. Boy, that's the good life. (laughs) Tell me it's not the good life when you spread all kinds of malicious gossip about someone in your church, and they not only forgive you, but as other people ask them about you, they're actually sharing some good things about you. Tell me it's not the good life when you should have been kicked to the curb. (laughs) And yet people around you refuse to give up on you. And they're gathering together and they're remembering you in their prayers. That's a good life. Christians live the good life when they seek to have Christ-like attitudes, when they seek to have Christ-like responses. And it's also the case when they embrace Christ-like standards. Christians live the good life as they seek to have those Christ-like standards. Peter writes, and he quotes here, again from Psalm 34, Whoever desires to love life, see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And this is the basis of all of those attitudes, and the basis of all of those responses that we were just talking about. The reason that we strive to have those attitudes and responses is because Christ has set a new standard for us. Before Christ, Paul said we were following the course of this world, the prince of the power of of, of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience. But now, on the other hand, we've been set free to live lives that we were meant to live. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those good works, you know what they are? It's it's living like an image bearer of God. Because God's works are good. In fact, the very first works that he did, Genesis 1, he said were good. That's what we're created for. That being the case, we have a new rule of life by which to live. We have a new standard that we must meet, and that's saying yes to good and no to evil. That may sound oversimplistic, but it is hard to live out. Imagine a world where people controlled their tongues. Wow, that sounds really good. But what if they controlled their their tongues, the the ten tongues that they have when they type, right? And they send those messages out online in the comment section. Hmm. Imagine a world where you knew that not a single hateful thing would be said or spread about you. That's a good life you're supposed to be living out. And, And that's a good life that is supposed to be lived out right here in the church. Peter writes, let him him keep his tongue from evil. Verse 10, are you guarding your tongue against evil and deceit? You know, it is a a challenging thing to be in a church for a long time and to hold your tongue and to keep it from evil. For some reason, it, it applies to families too. For some reason, it's so easy to get so comfortable with each other and to know each other so well. All the dirt, right? It doesn't take much to trigger that tongue or the tongues. <laughs> shouldn't be that way. Imagine a world where people turned away from evil. Everything that was destructive, everything that was life-taking, uh, good creation corrupting and distorting. 
That word turn away that, that is used here, turn away from evil, it implies this strong reactionary kind of, of repulsion. And, you know, you, you, you think of like touching something that's really sharp or really hot and that pullback reflex. That's the kind of turning away that we're supposed to have from evil. Imagine a place where, where people ran from this so-called sexual freedom that results in so many brutalized lives and shredded marriages and venereal diseases and murder. Imagine a place where people turned away from, from life-wrecking substances. Oh, we've all seen people who've done that. It's awful. Imagine a world where people didn't lie or steal or cheat. <laughs> that sure would be nice, especially when you're looking for a contractor. <laughs> Life in the church is supposed to be where people do right by each other and bring good to one another. It's it's to be a place where, yeah, problems surface because they're going to surface in this fallen world. Arguments are going to develop. People are tempted to divide. They're tempted to just walk away. They're tempted to say, you know what, there's another church down the block. I think I'm going to try it over there because this one has burned me. And Peter writes, let him seek peace. But not just seek it, pursue it. We need to be pursuing peace here in the church. And that means saying no sometimes to comfort. No sometimes to resistance to, to moving into awkward situations. Sometimes seeking peace means saying, you know what, i got to make that phone call. I see them across the courtyard. I'm going to go straight to them. And in the best loving manner I can, I'm going to seek peace with that brother, with that sister, because... The unity of the church depends on it. And this place is not as good as Christ saved it to be if I do not go do that. That's the standard. Do we always meet it? No, we don't always meet it. <laughs> but God's Spirit is empowering us, refining us, transforming us so that we might look more and more like that. And that's why it's so much better here than out here. I see so many parents driving through the campus each and every day here, especially during the school year. And I just want them to know, do you, do you understand it's better in here? This is, this is a small community. Some, some people would look at us and they'd go, wow, our church is so much bigger and better than that. Well, Bethany is this tiny little, who cares? God is doing something amazing, phenomenal in here as he's transforming hearts and minds and Re rebuilding a community that loves each other desperately. Not because we're all lovable, certainly we're not, but because Christ is in us. Man, it's hot out there. <laughs> but look what we're putting on our fries. <laughs> Christians live the good life as they seek Christ's like attitudes, responses, standards, fin finally and quickly goals. They live that way because they have a powerful incentive. They have something that they want to see happen. Peter quotes Psalm 34, 15, and 16 when he writes, For the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Did you get that? The eyes of the Lord, they're on the righteous. So God's people, they know that every moment, every second of their lives is lived out before the face of God. Coram Deo, right? The Latin. He sees everything, every step, every action, every thought. They live their lives completely exposed before him. 
And that, of course, is the reality of everyone. We all are. But Christians live in full awareness of that fact. He's the good, gracious, forgiving one who called them to himself and has stored up for them this inheritance. Remember this, the inheritance that it's imperishable, undefiled, and fading. He's the one who, through Jesus Christ, restored the relationship that we had severed with him. They've been saved so that they might once again know God's goodness and, and the joy that comes from experiencing him and loving him and the life giving reality of being at peace now with their maker. And not only that, they know that because of their restored relationship with God, that he attentively listens when they call to him. They, he listens to their prayers. His ears are open to their prayer. How awesome is that? That should change the way we live. And so they long to please him in everything that they do. Because this is amazing. Just as Christ longed to do the will of God the Father, so Christians long to live as God created and saved them to live because that gives him glory. It brings good to others. That's their goal. They know that there's coming today, the that they're going to be with him forever. But the fact that they now have this new relationship with him right now, it makes a world of difference for them. Living righteous lives before the face of God is their goal. And to them, that is, that is living the good life. That is living their best life now. There's a book out there that will tell you different things. This is the good life now. Sure, it's hot out there. You may not like fries with mustard. I get that. Too much yellow. But if you're in Christ and you belong to his church... You can know something of the good life now. We're living in a world that's not our home. Living among people who are still living in the passions of their flesh. They're going their own way, headed away from their creator, using and abusing each other, doing all that they can to get ahead, to get theirs, to get the most out of the few years, very few years, that they have left on this rock. <laughs> but as we band together as the people of God, as we commit ourselves to him and to each other in this thing called the local church. You want to know why membership matters? It's, it's right there. That's what membership is. We experience a bit of the good life here right now. 